before Terry does come up, I just want to say uh, it's, it's such a privilege to have Terry here today. I remember as a, a young man um, going late in the evening beyond my bedtime to Downs Bible Week and hearing Terry preach and uh, seeing the whole of this, this huge big top praying and worshipping in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit. Uh, I remember Terry um, preaching down at the um, Brighton Conference um, pioneering so many things uh, he's done such an amazing background task that you perhaps don't even know you may not have even well many of you haven't even met terry yet because um you've been in this church for such a short time and it's great to have terry is like a foundation he when i came into lead helping keith crump lead this church um keith used to fondly say he used to meet weekly with terry to actually shape him as a young leader he's he's dealt with the leaders of this church over the years and from distant or close and it's such a privilege to have him he's flown in from india at the weekend is that right and uh, i'm sure be kind to him he might still be jet lagged i don't know <laughs> but um but yeah let's just welcome terry shall we Amen. well thank you so much it's a real pleasure to be back with you and uh, to see a full room and another blessing of God upon you. Thank you so much for the invitation to be here. And uh, yeah, we have some happy memories uh, going back over the years. I'm a bit jet lagged still, I must confess. Had a good time in India with, uh, there are now nearly 400 New Frontiers churches in India. And uh, I remember when I first started going back in the 1980s uh, to a church called Living Word in uh, what was called Bombay in those days, now called Mumbai, and now they kept on growing. Living Word planted out Living Light, Living Hope, and then down to Goa, then across to Hyderabad, and down into Kerala, and there's just uh, loads of churches. So we had a leaders conference uh, in Hyderabad, and there were about 40 leaders, and they've, they've spread out. So some from Myanmar took 10 days to get to the conference. Others went by train uh, from Mumbai. Uh, took them 14 hours by train. And uh, Indian trains, not a lot of fun. So it was great to be there. But actually, the whole nation seemed to be coming alive. When I, I'd not been for six years. And when I last went, uh, I mean, there were very few cars. You see an occasional car. Um, but now masses of cars. It's kind of coming alive as a nation. Of course, the biggest nation in the world now, biggest population. And yet we've got these churches multiplying, growing, fresh leaders coming up. So it was a great joy, great joy to be there. I've been invited to speak on receiving the Holy Spirit. And I'd love to uh, take that with you. I'm going to read a few verses from Acts chapter 1. And maybe I could just mention the books that are uh, The Spirit-Filled Church, which I think you find helpful. There's one called God's Lavish Grace, which probably I've had more letters from people saying, it changed my life. And it's been translated into several languages. And then down in lockdown, I wrote uh, God's Treasured Possession. Also some of Wendy's books uh, have just recently been republished, and they're there as well. So please take advantage of their being there on the door out there somewhere. Okay? Acts chapter 1. Uh, so we'll just read a few verses from just uh, verse 4. Gathering them together, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized you with water, 
but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he'd said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord. It's there to inspire, motivate, and guide us. And we thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. So we invite you right now, come, come Holy Spirit. Rest upon us. Be our teacher. What we do now, let it be inspired by you so that it's living, active, powerful, helping us, Father. Come Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, people have said that verse 8 there is the key to understanding the book of Acts. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And uh, that's the key to understanding how these guys were so amazingly transformed. Because if you read the gospel stories, the followers of Jesus, these 12 apostles, they're not very impressive. Uh, they keep on getting it wrong. Uh, they make mistakes. They blunder along. And, and yet, within a few months, it looks like they're turning the world upside down. I mean, huge impact. You think, how can these weak guys become so effective? How can they be transformed into very effective ministers of Christ? And uh, we find, as I say, when it came to the cross, they all fled. They all ran away. They all denied him. And yet they're incredibly transformed and empowered. So Jesus said, now look, wait, don't start until you've received this power. There's going to come a power upon you that will change everything for you. Now, they're Jewish guys, so that's not a completely new idea. It's not like, what on earth are you talking about? Uh, they've got their Bibles. Uh, and you can read in the Old Testament of a number of characters transformed by the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Uh, Gideon would be one of my favorites. Gideon, when we first introduced to Gideon, God comes to him and begins to call him. He says, no, no, not me. I'm useless. Uh, my father's house is useless. Don't even think about me. And God clothes him with power and he becomes a phenomenal leader. He's empowered to be. He's transformed by the Spirit clothing him. That's the word that's used. He's, he's clothed with power. You find about David, when David um, is found by Samuel, it says David poured, or Samuel poured oil on David's head. And from that time, the Holy Spirit came upon him. He was a powerful, powerful leader. You find uh, Elisha, when he's going to take over from Elijah. You remember, Elijah was a powerful prophet. And there comes this time when this young guy, Elisha, has to replace him. And it's very clear he's the one chosen. And, uh, and, and uh, he, he says, I must have the same power that you had. If I'm going to do what you did, how can I do it without the power you had? And you get this story in the Second Kings where Elijah is going to be taken up into heaven, a unique experience in the Bible. And God speaks through him and says to Elisha, if you see me go, you know I've, you've got the power. 
And uh, so it's a strange story. He keeps pursuing him, pursuing him. And uh, they come to the River Jordan. Uh, and Elijah just takes his cloak and, and hits the river and it opens. He's a very supernatural guy, Elijah. And the sea opens, or the river opens, and they cross. And they, they're walking on. And then, yeah, Elijah is taken. And Elijah thinks, wow, I saw him. I saw him go. He said, if I see him go, I've got the power. And, and his cloak falls to the ground. So Elisha takes his cloak and he walks up to the River Jordan. He says, where's the spirit of Elijah? And he, he hits the river and it opens. And people say, wow, the spirit that was on Elijah rests on Elisha. And all he's got is this word. If you see me go, you've got it. And he saw him go. And he didn't have any kind of evidence or proof or didn't feel any different. But God said that to him, so here I go. And he hit the river and it opened. And so here's another guy who's changed, transformed, empowered. You find in the Bible it says Moses laid hands on Joshua. That Joshua might have the same power. Moses' life is finished. Joshua's going to take over. He lays hands on him. He's empowered by the Spirit. These characters have this experience of the Spirit coming upon them. So when Jesus said, you'll receive power, they've got stories like that in the Bible. People receiving power. One time Moses said, I'm exhausted leading these two million people through the wilderness. And he said, God help. And God says, all right, look, choose 70 guys and I'll take the sum of the Spirit that's on you and place it on the 70. And so Moses is delighted to hear that. And they, they choose out the 70. And there comes this moment where God takes something that's power of the Spirit on Moses and puts it on the 70. And they prophesy. The Spirit of God's on them. They're, they're transformed guys. They're empowered to do it. So these stories in the Old Testament are many. And they are usually very unique people. They are prophets. They're kings, they're judges, they're people, unique individuals. Probably maybe one individual in a generation even. The Spirit comes on them and they become empowered. So when Jesus said, look, you will receive power, it's like, wow, what happened to these guys? They, they have a model. In fact, it says in Isaiah, the time will come when the Spirit is poured out from on high. It's not just to, on ind individuals, special people unique characters, unique personalities, unique jobs to do. No, there'll be a, a widespread outpouring. And then it says in Joel, in the last days, I will pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. No longer just unique people. No, your sons and daughters. It says in the, the book of Acts that um, Philip, the evangelist, had four daughters who all prophesied. This outpouring of the Spirit was, you know, it's just ordinary people prophesying, bringing the presence of God through hearing things from God. So this great outpouring was no longer to individuals. It was to many, many people, a, a great outpouring of the Spirit. And that's what transformed these guys who followed Jesus for three years, but not very effectively, and they became very effective. Now, for myself, as a young Christian, I thought, is that available today? I mean, I came from a non-Christian background. My parents were not believers. There was no Bible in our house. No one prayed in our home. My sister moved to live in London. Billy Graham came to London. She came home and said, I've become a Christian. I'd never, ever heard anybody say, I've become a Christian. And then she said, I've been born again. I thought, what are you, what are you talking about? 
But that night, that night, she kept on telling me why Jesus died, how he came at night, and explained the gospel. And I was born again in my home that night. And I knelt down and received Christ. I wonder if you've received Christ yet. I received Christ that night. But to be honest, the pull of my old life was very powerful. And all my friends, I spoke to them, but none of them wanted to know Christ. And I, I didn't want to lose them. And to be honest, I didn't want to lose their lifestyle, which I was part of. And so I was born again. I started going to church every Sunday. I was always there every Sunday. Big Baptist church in Brighton. Super pastor and so on. Good preacher. Uh, but I didn't change my life much. In fact, I didn't change it hardly at all. And for about four years. And then one Sunday, I'm in church. And, uh, you know, I was often convicted. I often felt uncomfortable because my lifestyle was so bad. Uh, but I carried on. And then one Sunday, this sermon came, and I felt God spoke to me because that can happen. You know, the guy says something, but you can hear another voice as well. You can hear God speaking to you. And I, and I, I suddenly, I, when he's preaching, he preached on, you did run well, who's hindered you? It's in Galatians. And... Uh, and I thought I heard God say, I want your life, I want it now, and I won't speak to you about this again. And that scared the life out of me. Because <laughs> I thought, if God doesn't speak to me again, I, where will I finish up? Because my lifestyle was very bad. And I knew this was the truth. I knew, I knew Jesus is the life. I knew, I knew this is true. I wasn't, didn't doubt it. I didn't doubt I was a Christian. I just knew I was a very bad Christian. And then God said, I won't speak to you. I thought, God, if you don't speak to me again, where will I drift off? And for the first time, I knew the fear of God. And so I gave myself to God as far as I knew how. I threw myself into church life, lost all my friends. It was a very painful season. But gradually, I began to come through and find what it was to be a proper Christian. And it was then I felt so powerless. See, I've been a Christian. I knew I was a Christian. But I, I felt powerless. I didn't need power to backslide. But now I'm trying to win, I'm trying to win live for God. And I, I read this story, you know, these stories of ordinary guys who even said, well, I'm not with him. Peter said, I don't know him. I don't know him. I'm not with Jesus Christ. That's what his leading apostle said. But when the spirit came on, he was completely transformed. I thought, wow, is that available to me? Can I have that? And I began to ask questions. I began to read books and think, is that possible? Is that possible? And you find in the Christian world different views about that. So I found some people who said, no, 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 there's no more. You know, you'll gradually grow, but there's no, there's no transformation. There's no coming upon. That's, that's just in the Bible. That's not for today. And then other people would say, no, no, go for it. There's more. There's more. And I'm thinking, well, I had great Bible heroes by that time. John Stott, terrific Bible teacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and they disagreed. I thought, wow, if they disagree, what hope is there for me to work it out? Because, you know, these are great giants. And one says, no, no, you've got everything. The other says, go for it, reach out for more. I thought, so I, I got perplexed, really. And then for myself... What happened to me, I was one Sunday, I, I, I even led a little Bible study, I'm making some progress, and on Sunday afternoon, it was a real turning point in my life, I, I, I had time to kill, we had a morning service and an evening service, and uh, I, was, I had time to kill before the evening service, and I'm walking along Brighton Seafront, I lived in Brighton, and born there, lived there most of my life, and uh, in the summer, on a sunny day, there are some, uh, <laughs> 
you get thousands walking along the seafront. It's just huge crowds walk along there. And I just thought, oh, I've got time to kill. I walked along to what they call the fish market in Brighton, where there's two, an upstairs and a downstairs um, promenades. And I see a crowd. I think, what's the crowd? And I'm getting closer. It's quite a, quite a big crowd. And I look, what's going on? And there's some very frail elderly ladies preaching the gospel and singing and holding up placards, repent and stuff. And uh, it, the voices were not good. And I thought, Lord, this is terrible. Uh, uh, why is it like this? Uh, and I felt God said to me, I called young men to do this, not frail elderly ladies. And uh, what about you? I thought, not on your life. You wouldn't get me doing that. And then just in front of me, there's two guys, and there's crowds, but two men walk. One says to the other, look at those old fools. Why don't they keep their religion in their church? And, I, and there I am. I mean, he's there. I might not be called to preach, but he's there. And once again, I, I didn't do anything. Again, I lost the opportunity. And again, I th- and I went home. I was crushed by it. I got on my knees and said, Lord, I've got to... F- Is there more? I need more. I- Something's got to happen to me to set me free so I can be your witness. And I was in anguish, really. And I- I- there was a guy I used to meet. I-, I worked in London. I used to commute up to town every day. And there was a guy I sometimes had lunch with. And uh, he was all that I would love to be and wasn't. Whenever I used to have lunch with him sometimes, if I'm late, almost inevitably, I find him talking to someone about Jesus when I turn up. I say, that's wonderful. I wish he wouldn't do it, you know. And, uh, but I, I said to him, what is it with you? And this is going back to 1962, right? Before the charismatic movement had started, or it's about to start. And I said, what is it with you? He said, oh, I've been filled with the Spirit. I said, tell me. Oh, he told me of the experience. He said, come to our church on Sunday. We'll lay hands on you. Wow. So I'm up there the next Sunday to get what he's... I'll come back to that later. All right, so what does the, what does the Bible say? Does it say there is more or there isn't? Because you find different views. And so let's just quickly look at a few Bible verses. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Bible teacher, he said this. He said, the Gospels are all looking forward. They're saying, you will receive the Spirit when the Spirit comes, when the Comforter comes. It's all saying, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. All Gospels talk like that, particularly John's Gospel. The Spirit's coming, the Spirit's coming. This bit in Acts that I just read, the Spirit's coming. It's all talking future. When you read the epistles, the letters from the apostles, Paul, James, John, it's already happened. The epistles refer to things that have happened already. So, for instance, in the epistles, you never find anyone told to get baptized. You won't find it. Read any of those epistles. No one tells you you should get baptized. Why? Because it's already happened. It's already happened. When people are saved, they're baptized. We heard about it in the announcements earlier. When you get saved, you get baptized. And so no one's told get baptized because they've already been baptized. They're Christians. They get Christian, become Christians, they get baptized. Similar, the Spirit has come on them. It's already happened by the time you get to the epistles. So what do, we need to look at, and this is what Lloyd-Jones said. He said, you have to look forward at the Gospels, you look back at the epistles, you think, what actually happened then? You have to look at the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, you'll see what actually happened. And that's relevant to us. So it's difficult to build a teaching on the actual 12 apostles because they believed in Jesus before the cross. They believed in Jesus after the cross. They believed in Jesus before the Spirit came. So it's a bit different to us. So what happened to people afterwards? 
But after the cross, after the resurrection, after the coming on the Spirit, what happened to them? Because that's where we fit. If we can see something that's the same as us, we can fit. So I'm going to show you. Acts chapter 8. We'll just look at a few verses in three different locations in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, you see this. That Philip, the evangelist, went to Samaria and preached the gospel. And when he preached the gospel, it says this, he preached the gospel about the good news of the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus. They were being baptized, men and women alike. In other words, here's a very successful evangelistic crusade. This evangelist went, many were saved, they were baptized. They just put the hand up, they were baptized. They're thoroughly converted. They've become Christians. They've identified with Jesus. They've received the good news. Then it says this, when the apostles of Jerusalem, verse 14, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, they're already saved, they're already baptized, they're already Christian, but came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that would be their testimony. Their testimony would be saved through Philip the evangelist preaching the gospel. I responded wholeheartedly. I was baptized. I'm now a Christian. A few days later, Peter, James, John, apostles from Jerusalem heard the news we'd become Christians. They came down and laid hands on them because the Spirit had not yet fallen on them. When they laid hands on the Spirit, fell upon them. Okay, so that's what happened in Samaria. That's the first example. This doesn't say anything about speaking in tongues there, but you'll find if you read it all, there's a guy there as a sorcerer. He says, hey, I want the same power. There's something he saw happening. Okay, we won't bother to say more than it actually says, but there was a clear coming upon of the Spirit. Acts chapter 9, the second one of the three. That's the, a conversion and experience of the Apostle Paul. So Paul has the most famous conversion in the Bible. Paul, who's called Saul of Tarsus, hates Christianity, hates the church, hates Jesus, believes he's uh, not true, believes he's dead. And then, as we know, he has this phenomenal encounter with Jesus and, and, and a revelation of Christ. He becomes blind even. He is saved through this encounter. And so you'll find later on, he says, the God who commanded light to shine in the darkness has shone into our hearts, giving us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of creation language. God who commanded light to shine in the darkness has shone into our heart. It's like we were made new creatures. We had a revelation of God through the face of Jesus. Paul saw the Christ. He was so overwhelmed by the light, he was blinded. But he's converted. He's a Christian now. And you find in Acts chapter 9, a guy called Ananias, who's not a famous Christian like James and John, just, a, just an ordinary believer, he sent to Paul... And he says, God tells him to go there, and it says in verse 17 of Acts 9, Brother Saul, so he's a Christian brother now, Brother Saul. He has been a Pharisee, he's been a hater of the gospel. Now, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We often fail to see that little bit, big bit. He's converted, he's blinded, 
But now he gets his sight back and Ananias lays hands on him and the Holy Spirit came upon him. So if we read the whole chapter, you'd find it was three days later. Three days later, Ananias laid hands on him. So he's converted on the Damascus Road, this famous conversion, but he's empowered when Ananias lays hands on him and he receives the Spirit. The last one, Acts 19, and then we'll look at the common factors and see, because it's relevant to you and me. Where do we fit? Where do we fit? Acts 19, Paul comes to Ephesus and it says he found some disciples, all right? So that looks like, at first glance, he found some Christians. He found some disciples. If you see the word disciple, you probably think it's going to be Christians. But if you read the Gospels, you'll find that John the Baptist had disciples. You'll find that the Pharisees had disciples. Paul thinks these are Christians from the way it's written. He found some disciples. Verse 2, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no. We've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized? They said, John's baptism. Ah, oh, I see. What's John's baptism? Well, John the Baptist. John the Baptist's ministry, you may remember, John the Baptist had this prepare the way of the Lord ministry. Get ready, the Messiah is coming. That's what John preached. Get ready, repent, repent, get ready, get ready. It says all Judea went out to hear John the Baptist in the wilderness. When it says all Judea, it means massive crowds went out and many were baptized, so he was preparing the way. That was John's ministry. And many were repentant and went to him. They're not actually Christian. He's not, he hasn't got the full gospel message. Jesus hasn't died yet, let alone come alive. John is a prophetic voice. Get ready, repent, stop sinning. Get ready, the Messiah's coming. That's his message. And they said, we don't know what you're talking about because they've only heard John's message so far. So he says, what were you baptized into? They say, John's baptism. Verse 4, Paul says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who's coming after him. That is Jesus. In other words, that's a very abbreviated verse. He told them the gospel. They've heard the message from John. They don't know about Jesus yet. He tells them about Jesus. That's what it says plainly. John baptized with the baptism of repentance. He told you to get ready. When they, when they heard him say this, he's believing about Jesus, telling more about Jesus. When they heard about this, they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Right, so now they've become Christian. Paul explains the full message of the gospel to them. They become Christians, they get baptized. Then verse 6, then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So their testimony would have been, well, when Paul explained, we got saved and were baptized. These are clearly saved, like the guys that we read about in Samaria. They're wholeheartedly converted. But then Paul laid hands on them. Converted first, baptized in water, then he laid hands on them, and the Spirit fell upon them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. It was a seal of the Spirit, as Paul writes about in uh, Ephesians and elsewhere. The seal of the Spirit. seal is something you can see. That's what the seal, that's the point of having a seal you can't see. You, you get a letter, you put some wax on it, you put a seal. Or you get a creature, uh, some cattle or something, you put your mark on it. That's the whole point, you can see it. You can see it. That's why, that's why they get the mark, you tell where they belong. You'll be sealed with the Spirit. You'll be, it'll be evident. You're marked. 
And these guys get marked with the power of the Spirit. They speak in tongues, they prophesy, they're transformed. Right. We've looked at three cases, okay? Now, some teachers have said, when you're converted, there is no more. And some would argue quite strongly for that. Once you're converted, that's it. You, well, you keep growing gradually in God, but there's nothing more. Whereas I got desperate. I need, is there more? Can I have more? And some I went forward at a, a, a finally convention, still searching, wondering. And I went forward, and the guy said, well, you're not looking for that Pentecostal thing. I said, I don't know what I'm looking for. I just want some power. He said, oh, don't go that way. So he tried to push me off it. I'm a nice man, but he tried to push me off it. And others would say, no, 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 there's no more. No more. But these guys, they did have more. And some of them say, well, you just grow into that. So if you said to these people, when they say there is no more, you say, well, have you got it? Are you full of the Spirit then? Most of them would answer, well, I'm growing gradually into that. That's the answer, the honest answer. You don't, well, I'm growing into that. But when, she, when Paul lays hands on these guys, have you received the Spirit? They say, no. Then he lays hands on them, the Spirit falls on them, they're speaking tongues, they're prophesying. If you then said, have you received now? I think they'd say, yeah. They wouldn't say we're growing into that. They'd say, yeah, no, we've got it now. We have it now. We didn't have it, and now we do have it. Uh, it's so important for us to see what happened in the Bible. That's what happened in the Bible. They're converted through the good news about Jesus, but the empowering came when hands were laid on. Like in the Old Testament, Moses laid on Joshua, hands on him, and the Spirit came on him. So we find this in the New. The Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied like the 70 with Moses as well the spirit from you will come on them and the spirit came on them and they prophesied there's this supernatural dimension the power comes upon people and that's what transformed these guys they're transformed it's a, it's a mighty transforming thing and so the, those who say there is no more I'd have to say at least sometimes there is if not always now I would say this the Bible says the wind blows where it wills. Right, so you can't be dogmatic. You can't say it's got to be like this because, well, you can't tie the Holy Spirit down. So sometimes you hear sorts of things. His fire, his wind, his water, you can't easily tie him down. But there is a pattern that can help us here. You can see a pattern in the scripture. So for myself, what do I do now? What do I do now? And for me, I'm, look, I'm looking at this one, you know, someone, John Stott says this, Lord Jones says this, and Pentecostals seem to be saying this. Well, on the day of Pentecost, they tarried, they waited. And in those days, they used to have tarrying meetings where they would be in a room and wait. But it's interesting, after the day of Pentecost, you never read that again. At the beginning, the passage I read in Acts 1, wait, tarry until... But after the day of Pentecost, no one is told to wait. So you find that when the guys in Samaria had been saved, they haven't yet received the Spirit. Peter and John came down to them. They didn't say, oh, you need the Holy Spirit. You better wait somewhere. They didn't say that. They laid hands on them straight away. And the Spirit came. When Ananias came to Paul, he said, Paul, you're going to be an apostle. You better find an upper room somewhere. Go and wait. No, no. Just laid hands on him. Who's Ananias? Nobody. Just laid hands on him. Spirit came on him. This group in uh, Acts 19, they, they, barely, they barely got baptized. The water's dripping off them. And they lay hands on them. They get filled with the Spirit immediately. So what's the difference between where Jesus said wait and afterwards no one's told to wait? What's the deal? Well, 
in John 7, you'll find the key. John 7, key, key verse that gives us understanding of this. In John 7, it says this. On the great day of the feast, this is one of the great Jewish feasts. They had these feasts to commemorate events in their history. And this one is where they remember the water that was provided for them in their long journey in the wilderness. That God provided for them. You can read about it in the Old Testament. They, they would celebrate that by a special feast day. And on the great day of the feast, the, 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 the priest would shout out and pour water out about the water that was provided in the wilderness. It was a kind of a symbolic event, the water was provided. On that day, Jesus pushed through the crowd and shouted out, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. He that believes in me, out of his heart, out of his innermost being, shall flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit, who those who believed in him were to receive. But the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now that's a key verse. Why? Well, because Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, come. So if you thought, hey, I'm thirsty, push through the crowd. Yes, please. What would he have said? Not yet. Come and drink, but not yet. It plainly says that the Spirit was not yet given. Why not? Because you're not yet ready. No, it's nothing to do with you. So you sometimes find that when people come to be prayed for, to receive the Spirit, they say, oh, I don't know if I'm ready. No, of course you're not. Some people say, I'm not sure I'm worthy. No, of course you're not worthy. You're rubbish. Like I was, utter rubbish. We need power. We don't get it. It's not a reward. Well done. You've done so well. You can have this. You're a very exceptional Christian. No, no, no. You're like Simon Peter. It was a waste of time. That's why we need power. We don't qualify. We're not special Christians. We're people who think, God help. That's what I was. God help. I'm useless. It's not, perhaps I'm not ready. Of course you're not ready. When you're gonna, how long are we going to wait until you're ready? It's a gift. It's a gift. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's like the general saying to his troops, go and fight. And if you do really well, next time you can have a gun. <laughs> See, it's, it's not that. It's, the, it's, it's given to people who feel weak. So don't, don't. We'd like to pray for people this morning. And maybe you're thinking, was this for me? Yeah, it is. So don't come forward thinking, I don't know if I'm worthy. You're not. That's irrelevant. It's not to do with worthy. It's to do with needy. It's to do with thirsty. It's not, I'm special, please give. Simon Peter cursed and swore and said, I don't know him. I mean, he's not exactly worthy of anything. He's worthy of being kicked out. But Jesus said, go tell my brothers. That's to me is one of the most famous and wonderful statements. After the cross, these guys who completely forsook him, Jesus comes alive. He says to Mary, go tell my brothers. Oh, not go and tell those useless guys who let me down. Tell my brothers. Because when Jesus died, he took away all our guilt and adopted us into his family. And because we're sons, we receive the spirit of sonship in our hearts, crying out for Father. It's for, it's for sons. And we're only sons because we believe in Jesus. That's the only way you get to be a son. It's the only way you get to be ready to receive because you've received Christ. He's taken away your guilt. He calls you your son. So now it says in Galatians 3, we receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. That's how we receive. We receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. We just take Jesus at his word. 
Jesus said this, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's what it says. So he will give. If you'd like to come and be prayed for this morning, you just come and take. Come and take. It's like someone had a glass of water. Come and receive. It's like somebody says, just breathe it in. Just take it. Take it. It's free. It is free. Jesus won it. We get the spoils of his victory. He won a great victory. He says, you have it. It's all free. It's given to us. And we just come and take. So this promise says, after he has been uh, glorified, the promise is given. Okay? After he's glorified. So if Jesus is glorified, all we have to do is come and take. Amen? That's all it says. You come and take. And so for myself, when I was prayed for, I, I, I was a quite a difficult customer. Because they, they, they said to me, you're very lucky. I went up to this guy's church in London. I went to his church. They said, you're very lucky because we've got a special American guy preaching this Sunday. So he'll lay hands on you. I thought, oh, wow, the special American guy. <laughs> so, so I go into a room. There's probably about 20 people in that room. And the special American guy comes in. Like, wow, here he comes. Uh, he's going to do it to me. Listen, he's going to do it to me. It doesn't, doesn't say a special guy will do it to you. It says, come to me and drink. And so if, if you come to be prayed for shortly, you're not wanting any special guy to lay hands on you. You're coming to Jesus. You come to him and drink. So when this special guy came around, I got it so wrong. I thought, oh, here he comes, here he comes. <gasps> My turn. He laid his hands on his head, prayed a prayer, and went on. What, what was that? Because he didn't do it to me. And he's gone now, he's out of the room. And my mates are there, they're just like me, they're about 21. And, and they're not special. And I, they said, well, we'll pray with you. And they took me back to the promises. Just ordinary guys like me took me to the promises. I said, come on, let's just do it. So they laid hands on me. And I, I engaged with the promises. I engaged with God. I said, Lord, please give me this. I'm no longer to, looking to the special guy to do it. I'm just coming to Jesus. I'm just coming to Jesus. And I received. I just came to him. You have to come to Jesus, all right? So it's, it's free. I mean, we, we, we used to meet in the uh, Hove Town Hall at one time as our church was growing. And once a month we'd come to the Hove Town Hall. And like a thousand people, a big crowd. I preached the gospel. Uh, and a girl, I had the privilege of leading a student girl to Christ. And, uh, and it was wonderful, actually. I, I led her to Jesus. And when I finished, she said to me, is there more? Now, this is a new Christian. I said, yeah, why do you ask? And she said, there's power in this meeting. Is there more? So I said, yeah, there is. And we arranged for her to come to my home the following weekend. Uh, she came to my home, and she brought her roommate from college with her. And her roommate, a girl called Suraji, an Indian girl, she, she said, Celia's become a Christian. She's so changed. I would like to become a Christian. So I had the joy of leading her to Christ. So she came to Christ. A few tears shed. Well, came to Jesus. And then Celia said, don't forget what I've come for. <laughs> so we go through the scriptures about receiving the Spirit. All right, so she said, oh, yes, please. So I'm just about to pray for her. And Suraji, who's been saved 20 minutes, said, what about me? Well, with Acts 19 home, of course you. So I laid hands on both of them. One's been saved six days. One's been saved 20 minutes. 
laid hands on them. They both received the Spirit. Both started singing in tongues. Went on their way very happy. Because it's free. It's free. It's for you and for me. God wants to empower us. God wants the church to be filled with people full of the Holy Spirit. That we move into another dimension together. All sorts of things happen because the presence of God. We're not just churchgoers. We're coming into the presence of God. That's the promise. Jesus has now been glorified. See, on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, This Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up, whereof we're witnesses. Now, exalted at the right hand of the Father, he has shed forth this. When he's glorified, he has shed forth. No one's told to wait. You come and receive. Okay? You come and receive. So there'll be people here who'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to be prayed for, we'd love to do that and lay hands on you and you just come and receive the Spirit. Because the promise is to every one of us. For me, when I went back to my, my Baptist church, 1962, a long time ago, this whole thing was very controversial. And I thought, how do I get to share this? And we were away at Eastbourne. And the young people used to go away once a year. And the pastor came with us. There was about 50 young people. And, we're, and, and the program says, Saturday afternoon, we go for a walk. Well, it's pouring with rain, isn't it? So they say, oh, forget the walk. We'll do, an, we'll do a, a spontaneous meeting. So the pastor said to me, let's just go in the lounge. So we sat on the floor and around the room. And 50 of us packed into this lounge. And we just talked. We're fellowship. What's, you know, things happening. And they suddenly turned to me and said, something's happened to you. What's happened to you? And I, I prayed for opportunity to witness. I didn't want to blow up the place. So, you know, I thought, oh, I've been to the Pentecostals, they laid hands on me, I speak in tongues. <laughs> no, I didn't say it like that. Right? I was very careful, careful. Anyway, I told my story. And when I'd finished, it's like you could hear a pen drop. I was like, oh, wow, what's going to happen now? And then this wonderful pastor said, Terry, you must lay hands on all these young people. And then he would send them to, and I prayed for guys over the next few weeks and a whole load of the young people got filled with the Spirit. And on Sunday afternoons, we used to go down to what we call the fish market in Brighton. And some of the girls played guitar, and I stood on a box and preached on Brighton Seafront, something I thought I'd never, ever, ever do. And I'd been set free. God changed things, and that young people's group came alive. God began to do something new with us. And that's been happening all around the world. The Spirit has been poured out on people. So if that's new to you this morning, let me encourage you. You can come and be prayed for. Or maybe you want to go away and seek God and think about the Scriptures. But the promise is to you. That's what the Bible says. The promise is to you and to everyone that the Lord our God shall call. God wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We live in very dark days. Very dark days. The nation has so terribly lost its way. Our poor kids being taught rubbish in their schools about gender, all kinds of dreadful things are happening. We need a powerful church that's got something to say and something to do in his name. Shall we pray? Shall we stand, please? Would you like to stand? Let's just come to God. Father, I just thank you that you're here. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, that you will engage with us like, like those guys who suddenly understood it all, suddenly understood what was there for them and received.
And Father, I ask you that you bless and have your way amongst us. Let us receive from you, we pray, according to your promise, in Jesus' name. Amen.